Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, more Tua Tungavailoa talk. We'll discuss his fit in the Changeli system, the Ryan Fitzpatrick comparison, and we'll give you two huge clues from his 10-minute exclusive interview with ESPN. Plus, could Tua dictate the course of Miami's offseason? Regardless, the Dolphins are going to need to bring in several running backs this offseason. We'll take a look at the team's incumbent runners and those from both free agency and the draft, and I'll dive in real quick on the NFL coaching carousel. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. We have been in the top 200 for two weeks running. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, wherever you get your podcast from. Follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We're going to have written capsules for the next 10 days on all the position groups for Miami heading into the offseason. That's another Miami Dolphins. So two straight days here of opening the podcast with Tua Tungavailoa. And really, who else will we talk about? I see some messages or some tweets on Twitter telling me to stop talking about it because, I don't know, I guess you don't like him. But we're going to talk about it a lot because he has been tied to this Dolphins organization for more than a year now. And now he's officially declared for the draft and he's a distinct possibility. In fact, I would say the favorite to be the first round pick, the first first round pick for your Miami Dolphins. And on Tuesday, I had a chance to catch up on all my regular podcasts, including the Move the Sticks podcast, and they talked about Tua declaring and the best fits for him. They obviously mentioned Miami. Their second best fit was the LA Chargers to get some new energy into that city and into that new stadium they just built because no one really cares about the Chargers. So those are the two top fits. But they went in on the Chan Gailey hire, Bucky Brooks did, and talked about how there might be a misnomer about Chan Gailey's system and maybe more of a pro-style type of coach that wouldn't suit to a tongue of Iloa, he strongly disagreed, saying that Chan Gailey was the first one to bring the spread offense into the NFL. We knew about that with Tyler Thigpen back in the 2008 era with the Kansas City Chiefs, and then again in 2010 with the Buffalo Bills. They run pistol, they run spread. There's a bunch of college style principles in those offensive systems that he has ran, and that's exactly what Tua Tonga Iloa did in his Alabama career. And I had a chance on Monday night to go back and watch several of Tua's games from 2018, and I knew he was a good player and he was he never went under 90 for his pff grade in a game but the improvements that he made as a quarterback from 2018 to 2019 are really tangible and very evident when you put the tape side by side in 2018 it was vertical shot after vertical shot and granted he did hit most of those he has the best deep ball in college football and frankly to me the best deep ball besides anybody on the planet besides russell wilson he is deadly accurate 20 yards and beyond down the field but i watch him play in 2019 with a more 
leadership and more game management and more playing the quarterback position rather than just throwing the football. He took all of that upon himself to make upgrades in those areas of his game and he got so much better just taking what the defense gave him because that Alabama offense had so many dynamic weapons that there was always going to be guys open based upon what Tua saw in his pre-snap evaluation of the defense and he was so efficient and quick at getting the football out of his hands and into the hands of the playmakers. It's fun to watch. Put those things side by side. You'll see it too and it leads into this idea that I went back and found on a Locked On Dolphins article I wrote way back when the Dolphins signed Ryan Fitzpatrick last March, and I spoke about this towards the end of the season, how Fitzpatrick continuously won with his anticipation and throwing against the leverage of the defense, and I wrote this in the Ryan Fitzpatrick free agent film analysis. As for Fitzpatrick the starter, the strength of his game is also his biggest weakness. He trusts his eyes as much as any quarterback going right now and will let her rip without hesitation. There's a hint of of Matt Moore in his game where he evaluates pre-snap and makes quick decisions based on the leverage of the defense. I then wrote a conclusion in that same article saying, as far as the tank for Tua conversation, this signing, the Fitzpatrick signing, likely solidifies that Miami will not be the worst team in football. Now, we took a circuitous route to get to where we are, but that wound up being true. And the reason it was true was the same reason I stated in the article, quote, I believe too strongly in Brian Flores and the staff he has assembled for this team to lose a number of games in the teens. Of course, 5-11 and 11 didn't reach that mark. Fitzpatrick at least gets Miami out of the massive hole of unworthy NFL quarterback territory. And I'm pretty sure that Fitzpatrick did exactly that this season. And now you go from a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick Patrick with his leadership, the in-between-the-ears aptitude of his game, and of course the anticipation and leverage. To me, it's an easy transition from Fitzpatrick if and when that draft pick happens, and of course when they eventually give the keys over to the Alabama product in place of Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you have the quarterback room basically buttoned up if, again, that's the direction you go in. But then, do you tailor your offseason around the idea of a quarterback like Tua Tungavailoa and build the team to the vision you have for that player to properly develop the program in the way that gets the best out of him? Because all these coaches on this Dolphins staff are going to be successful if the quarterback they select early in the draft, whether it's this year or next year, is successful as the QB goes, so goes the team. So it makes sense to build the team around the vision of what you have for that quarterback. And Chris Kaufman, CK Parrot on Twitter, we all know who he is, had mentioned this about the first thing you have to do if you do draft Tua is to put that offensive line in place in front of him. And I agree to a certain point in regards to keeping him healthy because the only knock on Tua, the only reason he has a chance to be available at the fifth pick or even the third pick if the Dolphins do go ahead and trade up is because of his injury history because otherwise he's a perfect prospect and right now you're basically going into the 2020 season with Jesse Davis as your best option for an incumbent starter along the offensive line at right tackle now I think higher of Jesse Davis probably than most folks do but I think he could be a viable right tackle option going forward but then you still have four spots you have to round out So do you believe in Michael Dieter, Evan Bame, Danny Isadora, Daniel Kilgore, Shaq Calhoun, all these guys you had this year as incumbents? I tend to think not. So Miami could use all the resources they have and they have the draft capital and free agent dollars to basically build a team however they see fit. One of the major advantages of kind of resetting the roster the way they did and clearing the decks of everybody on that roster so now they can build it in one singular vision. Do you go out and make the team build around Tua Tungavailoa? I tend to think yes 
success this year for me, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, you go after the running back position, you go after the offensive line position and make your offense two-dimensional because right now you've got a good tight end in Mike Kosicki. You've got six receivers that are capable, in my opinion, of producing in the NFL. So go after the offensive line and the running game and really give Tua a Ferrari to drive in 2021 when he potentially takes over the starting job or maybe at the end of 2020 if things don't go well for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Basically, the options are endless, but I think you do build this team around the vision of Tua Tungavailoa, and that means very smart receivers that know how to make side adjustments and break off their routes at the right time. It means receivers that can excel vertically, and I think all those traits are checked off the boxes here by the Dolphins' current receiving core with Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Isaiah Ford, and Alan Hearns in his two-year extension he signed this past season. So get this quarterback, use the resources to build this team around him, and let's see this thing soar and see Mr. Ross's vision come to fruition with sustained success for years to come. Okay, in segment number two, we're going to preview the running back position. But first, we'll talk about Tua Tungavailoa's exclusive interview on ESPN with Laura Rutledge and read between the lines and tell you why you should be excited about reading between those lines and the things Tua said. But first, before any of that, if getting excited is an issue for you, you got to check out BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, draft night, day two of the draft, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can give it to the misses after the Dolphins select Tua Tungavailoa this April. And Blue Chew is not just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance your performance in the bedroom and get that QBR up in the stratosphere of Tua Tungavailoa. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. There's an article up on MiamiDolphins.com written by Alan Popar, one of the staff writers there for the Miami Dolphins official site, and it talks about a reference that Gil Brandt the longtime Dallas Cowboys executive and present NFL media senior analyst wrote an article about which of the eight fourth place finishers has the best chance to turn it around and win the division in 2020 and topping his list was your Miami Dolphins quote yes the Patriots have reigned supreme in the AFC East for an unprecedented 11 straight seasons but based on a late season slump and the uncertain future of Tom Brady it isn't a stretch to see the Dolphins becoming legit contenders sooner rather than later even with the Miami front office sending loads of talent out the door this year, this was a surprisingly resilient group thanks to the leadership of veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick and the emergence of youngsters Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, and Jerome Baker. There is plenty left to be done, but the Dolphins will have ample opportunity to improve in the offseason with tons of cap space and draft capital at their disposal. And Brian Flores is coming off an especially impressive debut season. With Flores at the helm, I could see the Dolphins winning in 2020, even if they draft a quarterback in the first round. This team is promising regardless of whether a rookie or Fitzpatrick is under center, end quote. 
I mean, what can I say? I agree, Gil. And with that talk of a rookie quarterback, let's transition now back to the quarterback we all want to be Miami's first selection in the first round this season. Of course, Alabama's Tua Tungavailoa, who made his announcement on Monday and sat down with ESPN's Laura Rutledge to give her an exclusive 10-minute interview about why he chose to go to the professional ranks, about the relationships he has at Alabama with his teammates, and much, much more. But first, let's go into the very first question she asks him regarding his decision to turn pro. Yeah, well, I, you know, I got to talk with my parents. We got to get a lot of the information from coaches, you know, Coach Saban. Um, you know, Coach Sark had, had a good amount to do with this process, too. And then we, we got to talk with GMs, general managers, owners, you know, of teams. Um, and then, you know, what the doctor's kind of report was on, on the whole thing. You know, that's, that's why we made our decision. So two things to point out there. He mentioned the appearance of general managers and owners that he spoke to throughout the process the last couple of weeks and which GM and owner and CEO of the team were at the Citrus Bowl on the sideline while Justin Herbert was playing in the Rose Bowl on the other side of the country. The Dolphins brass was there to talk to Tua or I should say Alabama officials and Steve Sarkeesian who Tua in that statement right there said that Sark had a big influence on the decision. Who was he talking to on the sideline? Stephen Ross, Chris Greer and Tom Garfinkel. So if we're reading context clues, perhaps some word got back to Tua that maybe he would not get past that fifth pick in the upcoming draft. The other part that I love, and this is why I believe the Dolphins do in fact love this kid outside of the incredible tape he put together for three years down there in Tuscaloosa, is the way he handles relationships and the way he galvanizes a locker room. We've talked about it at length, but listen to the way he speaks here and take in mind that I was there in the media room during training camp after a couple of games this season, watching press conferences from my computer of Brian Flores. He always talks about we, not me, a team first mentality. That has been the core basis for how he wanted to build this program in Miami. And listen to how Tua talks about his teammates and leadership and the camaraderie in an NFL locker room compared to college and how you kind of have to create that on your own. And it sounds like a challenge that he is more than willing to embrace on his own. Yeah, let's talk about those teammates. What will you miss about being with them? Man, a lot of the hard work that we put, put in with each other. You know, I, I've heard from a lot of the guys, my ex-teammates that are in the NFL now that, you know, the NFL is a different beast, you know, with how you go about, I guess, the camaraderie of, of your team. You guys don't really run together. You guys don't really have time to do things together because, you know, everyone is different. Everyone has their own set plans. And in the NFL, it's almost like an individual thing, you know, where, you know, guys need to decide whether we come together as a team or, you know, if they don't, then they don't. You know, you can't do anything about it. And here it's obviously different than that. Oh, here is so much different. Yeah. You know, I think at every college school, it, it's, they, they feel the same way. But then in the NFL, I think it's something you got you to gotta create within the atmosphere. So they want a quarterback who is wired a certain way, a quarterback with good huddle etiquette, a quarterback who is a leader of men, a guy that can galvanize a group. That's Tua Tungavailoa. I think we all knew that by now, but you hear the way he speaks. It's so refreshing and just a unique take on everything about football and life and general spirit and faith from this kid. He is just so impressive and he's going to blow teams away when he interviews at the Combine in February. 
And another position the Dolphins will be looking at at the Combine in February, as well as March and free agency, and their own roster, is the running back group. And now we jump into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We did quarterbacks on yesterday's show. Today, we're talking about the tailbacks. And anytime you have a 37-year-old quarterback lead the way for your rushing attack, probably good time for change on the horizon in the running back room. Heading into a new decade, the Dolphins are in dire need of a ground-up remodel at running back. Kenyon Drake finally realized his potential in a Cardinals uniform. Kalen Balazs broke a record for the fewest yards per carry, 1.8, for a back with a qualifying number of snaps, and the Miami native Mark Walton looked promising but had his fourth arrest inside of one year. He is now gone, obviously. The Dolphins used Patrick Laird, an undrafted free agent from Cal, on better than 80% of the offensive snaps in two December games. They tried out seventh-round pick Miles Gaskin, who showed promise late, but his season came to an end prematurely because of an ankle injury. The Dolphins eclipsed 100 yards just three times all year and were held under 50 yards on four occasions. They wound up dead last in the league in both rushing yards and rushing average. And if we're looking for scapegoats for the portions of the roster that did not perform at a satisfactory level, like we said with Josh Rosen and maybe Chad O'Shea, maybe even Tony Oden and the Minka Fitzpatrick debacle this past season, then where does Eric Studsville, the Dolphins running backs coach and running game coordinator factor into that? I tend to think that he has a lot of rope to work with because he's one of the most respected running back coaches in the league. He's one of the most respected men in that building in Miami. And I think he's going to get a remade running back room this year, and then we can probably judge his coaching performance in 2020. As for those backs he had to deal with in 2019, the incumbents, we start with Kalen Balage, 74 carries for 135 yards. We talked about the 1.8 yards per carry average, three touchdowns, and he caught 14 passes this year. He was 99th out of 132 running backs on Pro Football Focus, and he played 253 snaps. That was good for 24% of the Dolphins' offensive workload, and he was given every opportunity to be the bell cow for this offense. He was the starting running back to start training camp. He started the season off as a starting running back, and he continuously got work ahead of backs that maybe were more deserving than he was, like, for instance, Kenyon Drake when he started off here, or Mark Walton when he got hot, and then towards the end of the season, Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin, and his workload, his workhorse mentality just never materialized. He has no creativity in his running game. His vision is very poor. He just basically runs straight forward into his own offensive lineman half the time, and you watch him try to catch the football, and what an adventure that was for him out of the backfield. We all go back to the play against the New England Patriots when he bobbled the pass right into a pick six. Just a laughable effort that day from the Dolphins and Balage in general. And Balage does have a pre-existing relationship with running backs coach Eric Studsville that dates back to Balage's days in high school at Fort Collins when Studsville was with the Denver Broncos. And that might be the last straw that he has to hang on to a roster spot. I have to imagine he enters training camp on the roster, but I don't think he'll break camp with the team. But if he does, that probably means the Dolphins did not add enough to the roster this offseason. Patrick Laird is second on the incumbent list, 168 yards on 62 carries, just 2.7 yards per average, one touchdown, 23 catches, 204 yards. He graded even lower than Kalen Balaj. He was 124th out of 132 backs on Pro Football Focus. He did outsnap Balaj with 291. That was 27% of the Dolphins' offensive workload. And he was kind of a cult hero in the preseason, an undrafted rookie, and of course, the rare white running back in the league. 
Hell, the players on the team even called him the intern because they thought he was an intern for the team and not actually a running back. But you go to his game, and to me, he too lacks explosion. Kind of just an ordinary guy. He does give you something by way of pass receiving skills, and he can set up blocks in the open field, but he's not going to explode for big plays or really create yardage all that often on his own. I do think Miles Gaskin, our third incumbent, is better in all the areas above. 36 carries, 133 yards, and his 3.7 yards per carry led the team as far as backs that finished the year on the roster and basically was impressive compared to the rest of the roster. He scored the one touchdown, had seven catches and 51 receiving yards. He was 102nd out of 132 players on pro football focus at the running back position, played 125 snaps. That was good for 12% of the Dolphins offensive workload. I think this guy is just a pure good vision runner who can find creases, who can change the angle on the tacklers in the point of attack, good short area twitch, and that vision allows him to create positive yardage most of the time. And that's why he was a four-time consecutive 1,200-yard runner in college at UW. As it stands right now, I think he's the most talented back on the roster. That could be an indictment of the roster, but also an endorsement of Gaskin. I think he'll be in line for some work off the bench next season. DeLance Turner, four carries, six yards. I don't think we have to go much into that. And then Chandler Cox, who did not qualify for a grade on pro football focus, played 83 snaps, 8% of the Dolphins' offensive snaps. He was a healthy scratch three times on the inactive list. I think Miami could look to replace the fullback this season because Chan Gailey's varietal offense could use a flexible piece like Cox, but the jack of all trades we saw at Auburn did not show up in his rookie season and he will get another chance this offseason, but Miami could add competition to the fullback spot. And then Samaji P. Ryan is a restricted free agent heading into the offseason. We're going to come back on the other side and talk about the veteran running back market, the draft class, which is absolutely loaded. And we'll talk about the coaching carousel in the NFL. All that next here, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Picking up where we left off in segment number two, taking a look at the piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com as we examine the entirety of the Dolphins roster heading into the offseason, as well as the free agent and draft options they will certainly have to look at coming up this March and this April. We pick it up with the veteran market at the tailback position. I'm not going to go too in-depth on this guy because I did an entire segment on him earlier in the week on the podcast. Derek Henry is the guy on the free agent market. You could look at Melvin Gordon, I suppose. If Austin Eckler gets free on the exclusive rights free agent or restricted free agent contract that he has, he falls into that territory as well. But Derrick Henry might be the best tailback in the entire National Football League. And he can basically be a guy that you purchase the run game when you go out and buy him because he can make it work in a lot of systems. Now the Dolphins will have to get a better offensive line, but he's the kind of guy that could wear a defense down, especially in the Miami weather. But it will cost you likely 12, 13, maybe even $14 million per year to make that happen. The the more reasonable route, in my opinion, is his backup, a guy that will probably get cut this offseason when the Titans do give Henry the extension, Deion Lewis. He will be 30 next September, but he could be a cheap option to be a guy that comes in, knows the system, knows the scheme, can give you a good pass catching back, allow you to be flexible across all formations. And I still think he has enough wiggle to be a good route runner and a good producer in the passing game. He has an 81.5% career catch percentage and averages 7.4 yards per catch in that career. He's been a sidekick his entire career, so perhaps he could sign with Miami and not be too worn down at this stage of his career. And maybe Miami can squeeze a couple more good years out of Deion Lewis. 
My sleeper is Chris Thompson from Washington, another pass catching back. Again, this free agent class is in the abyss, and Kareem Hunt is an option here. I just don't know if he'll be a guy the Dolphins consider because of his off-the-field issues, but Thompson has been a receiving back since he got to the league. He does have some injury issues, and of course, he too, like Deion Lewis, is heading into his age 30 season. The other notable backs on the free agent list, Carlos Hyde's out there, Peyton Barber, Bilal Powell, Jordan Howard, Gus Edwards is an exclusive rights free agent, and Matt Breida is a restricted free agent. I think on that list, I would look at Carlos Hyde, although I think the Texans will bring him back since they invested draft capital, and he had a good year. So we go ahead to the draft, where I think Miami could take two, maybe even three of the guys in this year's absolutely loaded class, and we start with the guy, who is J.K. Dobbins. I called him RB1 back in September. I had money on a Northwestern Ohio State football game back in 2017, J.K. Dobbins' first career college game, and he ripped off like 220 rushing yards that night. I knew he was special that day. He has been RB1 for a long time. And the Dolphins might look at this draft class and say, we have to find our starting tailback, our bell cow lead back type of guy, but maybe we don't do it in the first round because of all this talent. Maybe some of those guys drop into the second round. And I do believe that J.K. Dobbins is possibly a first round pick, probably the only guy in that class, he and maybe Travis Etienne, but he just has the home run speed, the angly racer in the open field and short areas, low pad level, good leg drive. He's a tough physical runner. He's very advanced as a pass catcher and a more than willing pass protector as well. He had a 2,000 yard season this year, had over 5,000 yards from scrimmage and 43 touchdowns at 6.2 yards per carry in his Ohio State career. Now the more reasonable route, and I think this guy falls into round two despite being running back number one for so many folks, is Jonathan Taylor. And I think that he has the goods Miami will like. He can he can tote the rock, man. 926 carries, had just 42 catches in his college career, but you might wonder about the tread on the tires being kind of thin for Jonathan Taylor, but he can certainly be your workhorse back. He is scheme diverse. He's ran behind some good lines there at Wisconsin, but he had 2,000 yards per season in college. He was just 23 yards shy of 2K his freshman year. Otherwise, he would have had that three years straight. His lowest yards per carry was this year at 6.3, so he's great in that regard. He only caught 16 passes the first two years, had 26 grabs this past season. He's not the most precise route runner and he might struggle to create separation on quick choice routes or aerial routes or Texas routes, but that's not to say that he can't develop that aspect of his game. We've seen backs not have a pass catching acumen coming into the league and they find it once they get to the pros. He has a fumbling issue, 19 fumbles, although he had the most carries in college football. And so his percentage of fumbles was under 2%, all things told. He's a tone setter who could really excel in the Miami heat and humidity and help take advantage of that home field advantage and really give the Dolphins the balance on offense they desperately need. My sleeper is another guy named Taylor, J.J. Taylor from Arizona. He's five foot six, 185. He kind of reminds me of Tariq Cohen. He is explosive as all get out, but he's also compactly built below the waist, so he is strong enough to take on contact and bounce off tackles and make big plays that way. He's a dynamic mismatch piece in the passing game and a willing pass protector, though you're going to want to use him as chips and releases into the pass route. He can flex out wide and go to work on linebackers and pass coverage. My 2020 running back draft rankings right now, J.K. Dobbins atop it, Travis Etienne number two, DeAndre Smith and 
Jonathan Taylor, and Zach Moss round out three, four, and five. I got Najee Harris from Alabama as number six. Cam Akers as number seven from Florida State. Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State's number eight. And A.J. Dillon, number nine, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU at number 10. All things told, I think Miami goes after the running back in the second round, and I do think it'll be Jonathan Taylor. He is your starter. I think they signed Deion Lewis once he gets cut to be the second fiddle to Jonathan Taylor. Miles Gaskins in the rotation, and then I put in J.J. Taylor, the Arizona rookie, into the rotation as well. So Taylor, Lewis, Gaskin, and Taylor is the prediction, and I'm sure that will change several times from now up until March and April. But for now, that's what we're going with. Check out the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. There's plenty of detail and notes in there as well as video breakdowns. And real quick, before we get out of here, the coaching carousel has about come to an end. I want to make a couple of quick notes on that. The Dallas Cowboys went after Mike McCarthy, which I guess makes sense, even though I'm not the biggest McCarthy fan. But the one thing I want to talk about with this hiring was the weird sleepover he had at Jerry Jones's house on Saturday. Like, what do they do? sleeping over at each other's house. Give the man a hotel. Give him a place to stay in Dallas. I'm sure you have all the accommodations you could possibly want. Did they wear matching pajamas? Did they brush their teeth together? Just a weird situation there between Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy. I think the Panthers hit the home run here with Matt Rule, the best possible candidate out there in my opinion. And does he bring back Cam Newton? That could have a big, big ripple effect on the draft in the quarterback position because the Panthers do pick number six in this year's draft and could go up over Miami if Matt Rule wants to start fresh with his own quarterback. The Giants hired Joe Judge, the Patriots special teams coordinator. Yeah, that's Dave Gellman in a nutshell for you. Just goes out and makes the weirdest decision and you have to adhere to what Dave Gellman wants and you have to hire a guy who will work with Dave Gellman. The Giants are going to remain terrible until he is gone from that position. Washington got it right, I thought, with Ron Rivera, although I will never think that Dan Snyder can get that team working in the proper order. Hell, he hung on to Bruce Allen for years and years and years. What makes you think he's going to change at this stage of his career? And the Cleveland Browns have the last opening. Could be Josh McDaniels. Does he bring Chad O'Shea with him to be the offensive coordinator or I guess the OC that works behind the head coach who would in fact be the de facto offensive coordinator of that Browns team. So Cowboys, not a huge fan of the hiring. Panthers hit a home run. Giants, gross. Washington did a great job and we'll see about Cleveland. As for today's show... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition looking at the receivers on the Dolphins roster on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.